0: take one passage of scripture and kind of use it as a diving board this morning. I want to cover uh, many passages of scripture, so uh, limber up your fingers or limber up your ears to listen as we read. But let's go to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations in chapter 3. Lamentations is one of those strange little books in the Bible that most often it comes up in our Bible reading schedule going, oh no, such long chapters. And uh, the book of Lamentations is exactly what it says. These are the sorrows or the laments of, of Jeremiah seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple burned and, and everything destroyed that he knew. And we go to verse 21. And Jeremiah is writing here, he said, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, what I'd like to do this morning, by God's grace, is try to preach on the faithfulness of God. We've been doing a loose series the last several Sundays on faith, what it is, where it comes from, how how it works in our life. And we understand that faith, in order for it to be a biblical faith, has to have a single source, which is the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith is not subjective. We have an object to our faith. It is the written Word of God, and it is the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when, when you hear someone talking about the word faith, And how they feel about something, you know that that's not a biblical faith at all. That's not objective. That is subjective. That is taking the words of God and and oftentimes, more often than not, circumstances in our life and mixing them together. And then saying, this is how I understand things. God never wanted that. Because there's... Nothing that we understand correctly because of our sin nature. It's got to be fixed. It's got to be changed. That's why our faith is not subjective in the fact that it's how we feel or what we think about something. Uh, Oftentimes I've had people say, well, Pastor, I just don't see it that way. Well, do you see the words that are written here? It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you see those words? Yes. Do you understand what they mean? Well, yes. Everybody has sinned. You say, yeah, And come short of the glory of God. There's no person out there that's as good as God is or that meets God's standard of righteousness. Would you agree with me? Well, uh, i got to think about that for a minute. You see, that's not objective. You see the words, you know what they mean, but you don't want to accept it because in accepting it, that means I have sinned and I have a problem with God and God has a problem with me. And this is not a good place to be. And so what I shall do is ignore it. That's what a lot of people do. I mean, just to illustrate this, if a doctor came to you and said, listen, you have a very serious and life-threatening medical condition, we believe that we can correct this, but it's going to require surgery and it's going to require treatments. And in many cases, this is what you hear when you're dealing with the subject of cancer. And they said, this is what's going to happen and this and this and this and this and this. And there are some people just simply say, I'm not going to deal with it. And in a matter of months or whatever time period it is, they leave this life for eternity. There are other people who say, wait a minute, God's given me life. He's given me another chance here. I'm going to fight this thing. And they're still with us today. As important as that is in the medical realm, I want you to understand that it's a thousand times more urgent in the spiritual realm. You see, the word faithfulness, let me just read you the definition. The quality of being faithful, fidelity, loyalty... Trustworthiness, conscientiousness, strict adherence to one's pledged word, honesty, sincerity, exact correspondence to an original or to a fact. Now, those are three basic definitions of the same word. It is the idea, the quality of being faithful. That quality demands fidelity and loyalty, trustworthiness, a strict adherence to one's pledged word. If someone says, I will do this, and they don't do it, then we say that person was unfaithful in their word. And... Oftentimes when people copy things, they'll say, well, that's a faithful reproduction of the original. Meaning that it is an exact copy in every color, and every stroke of an artwork. Uh, Would be a faithful reproduction that you would actually learn the techniques that the original artist did. Now, we're talking about the faithfulness of God. Now, God... Is faithful. He is intact. I mean, he he is not. He is trustworthy. God is conscientious. I I, I just don't know how else to say this. But to repeat myself, I get so weary. Of people who will approach God and say, well, he understands who we are and we just need to do the best we can. That's not conscientious at all. Would you want to go into the bank and have the teller say, well, you know, it was a rough day. I had a lot of people. One of those people came in with all those rolls of quarters and change and I was four hours counting. And I just, I forgot your deposit. Sorry. How many of you would accept that? You see, God is not a sloppy bank teller. He's faithful. In fact, the definition of this word can only truly be found in its fullest and most complete sense, in the character and the definition of who God is. Amen? He is faithful. But you know what? He has a strict adherence to His pledged Word, does He not? That's why the psalmist said, Thy Word have I I exalted above all My name. This is God speaking here. He said, I've taken My Word... And I've lifted it up above my name. Now, how does that play out? It plays out this way. What can you know about God that's not written in this book? You've answered the question. I mean, we read Romans chapter 1, and you can know that there is a God by looking at creation, by looking into the stars at night. But that's not saving faith. That will not tell you one bit about God. If you want to know what His names are, if you want to know about His character and who He is, if you want to know about God, you've got to get into this book. And I will promise you something, not based upon my veracity or my character, but based upon God's, that He believes and He always has had a strict adherence to His Word. And I like this last one, exact correspondence to an original. I like saying it this way. God was, is, He is, is, and He always will be, is. God is always present tense. There is no past, present, and future with God. God does not change. He is God. In fact, if he were to change, he would have to cease being God. That's not going to happen. Amen. And sometimes people question God. And as we go through this uh, message this morning, I want you to uh, understand something. That God is faithful to his word, to Himself and to us. Sometimes there's questions that arise in our hearts and in our minds. When someone we know and love rejects the gospel message. And we say, couldn't there be something more to be done? And I want you to understand that because of God's faithfulness, He has already done everything that can be done. God cannot be any more good than He already is and has always been. God cannot give us any more revelation than He already has. It's all right here. Everything we need is in this book. If you want to turn, the next passage we're going to is Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is part of the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. We get all excited about the Ten Commandments. By the way, nobody's ever kept all ten of them. And uh, yet, those were the covenant. That was the opening preamble to the law of God. There were about 613 commandments in God's law. Many of them had to do with what we call the tabernacle or the Old Testament tabernacle and the worship and the sacrifice of the animals and all of those things. But we come here to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God. The faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him, he will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep his commandments And statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. The first point, as we understand the faithfulness of God, is He is faithful in adherence to His Word. And He will judge you. And every one of us, every man and woman that has ever lived, are going to be judged by the same standard. I've had people when passing out tracts, they'll say, oh, I'm a Catholic, I don't need that, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, or, well, you're a Baptist, you think you're better than the rest of us. I've had people say that on occasion. I said, no. But I I will challenge you this. I'm a Baptist on purpose. I'm not one by accident. I don't apologize. Now, I apologize for other liars who use the name, like Bill Clinton and... Jesse Jackson and, uh, if you're old enough to remember, Harry Truman and some of these other people, Jimmy Carter, who have used the name Baptist and have sullied it because, here's why, no adherence in their lives to the words of this book. Historically, the historical definition of Baptist people and why I stand before you today as an ordained Baptist minister is they were people of the Bible alone. Nobody else's teachings, nobody else's books. That is our historical heritage. And if I'm going to be honest and as forthright as I possibly can be in our church in telling people who and what we are, we're going to use that. That's why it's Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, we want people to understand the doors are open. But if you're going to stay inside, got to be a little bit of adherence to what's written down. I never will forget, and unless I lose my mind completely, a man came up to me one night and he said, I'm leaving the church. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And he said, You put too much emphasis on the Word of God. I said, well, and I called his name, looked him straight in the eyes and said, if there's a reason to leave our church, that's it. Because that's the only thing you're going to get here. He said, but you don't give any credence at all to any of the writings of other great men. I said, amen. That's good preaching. Amen. Uh, We agree with that statement. Because we don't believe in the faithfulness of other men. We believe in the faithfulness of God. And he says, those that believe my word, he says, I'm going to keep the covenant with them to a thousand generations. Now, most of us could not trace our family heritage back even five generations Twenty generations, oh my, that would be almost impossible to go back 20 generations unless you have some family chronicler who keeps track of all these things uh, or you're part of some famous family that's in the history books. I mean, 20 generations would be uh, almost an impossibility for any of us in this room, I I would imagine. But a thousand generations? You know what God is doing here? He's using a, a, a literary term that we call hyperbole. Uh, that means a super exaggeration. Because nobody, nobody can figure out a thousand generations. But then he says in the verse right next to it, those that disregard my covenant, I'm going to repay them to the face. Now, I tell you, we live in a world where a lot of people scoff at the Bible, do they not? I mean, it's politically incorrect to criticize any religion except the Bible. You ever notice that? And the funny thing is, I met some people over the years. In fact, somebody was talking about it. Just one of my daughters the other day says, oh, you must be one of those real conservative kind of people. Oh, no, no. We give the conservative kind of people nightmares. Because we we believe that God is faithful to his word. And because God is faithful to his word, we should be faithful to his word. You know what? The real Christian life is not something you put on Sunday morning to come to church. It's something you live Monday morning. You know, there are churches where they are just emotionally exuberant. I mean, they're just over the top, and they're 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 just carried away with emotions in praising Jesus. And, and 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 sometimes you say, well, why can't we have a little bit more of that?" But I want to challenge you: go to those same places on Monday, and they're the deadest and most depressing and and scariest place to ever be. What we want is a real relationship with God that doesn't have to be pretend on Sunday and do the best you can on Monday. It's prepare on Sunday so I can live what I believe on Monday. That's that's being faithful. We We shouldn't have to have two wardrobes, one we wear to church and one we wear to work. Now, if you're a mechanic, uh, I understand that. I mean, I do a little bit on the side. I don't wear a suit and tie when I crawl under the van, all right? Just don't do that. But issue is modesty, friends. And this is how we deal with this here. Ladies, if you got a question, you talk to my wife. She'll explain it to you in a way that you can understand Guys, if, if you don't know how to do, take care of this thing, uh, see me. We'll, we'll, de- we'll deal with it. I mean, when we went on our bike hike. You know, leave your swimming trunks behind. If you have those things, no shorts. Let's put on some clothes, even though it's hot. Why? Because my Christianity doesn't stay at home when I'm having fun. It's my Christianity that allows me to have The kind of joy that I don't have to regret. The kind of uh, the kind of joy that comes from faithfulness. You see, God is going to take care of them. We live in a world where it looks like the sinners win all the battles. Do we not? I don't know why less than two percent of the population gets to own the dictionary and define what marriage is. That doesn't make any sense to me. But our Supreme Court says that they have the right to redefine something that God defined in the Bible as between one man and one woman and the ideal situation is just one man and just one woman for an entire life. That's that's the biblical definition. And I've heard people say, We need to do this and we no, we don't need to do anything except be faithful to God's word. Do you know how much that irritates them, drives them crazy? I think I've quoted this news I was listening to the radio when the Supreme Court decision came out and They had somebody on there saying, now, now we'll we'll be married in everybody's eyes. And I'm shouting at the radio, not in mine. Because I've got a Bible that tells me that's not marriage. I'm not going to give up what the Bible says just because you think you can redefine the terms after 6,000 years of human history. And you know what? I don't need to go out there. The the, the thing is, they accuse us of hating them. But I'll tell you what. You want to see hatred? You want to see hatred. How many of you remember the billboard that was put up on Staten Island about eight years ago? Just one verse out of the book of Leviticus that condemned homosexuality. And it was wall-to-wall, 24-7, on the news about how hateful these people were and how evil they were to put this Bible verse on this billboard until it was taken down. But we're told we're supposed to rejoice when these things happen. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful to the Word of God. Because God is faithful to His Word. And I do not feel hatred or animosity toward these people because they're going to stand before God one day. I want to see them get saved. I want to see them let go of their sin and embrace faith in God. You see, that's the answer. Because God is faithful. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to follow along with me. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. It says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him To be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, in all things, verse 17, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that aren't tempted. You see, this verse says, that he is our faithful high priest. One of the things I love about this old King James Bible, people talk about it being hard to read. You talk about a difficult passage, my friend. This is a difficult passage. But let me show you how to make it a very simple passage. It says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Now, that word behooved, if you don't know what that means, we've got a $5 dictionary in the bookstore you can buy and it has all those hard words in it and you can just look at it and look it up. But the word behooved means to be a part of, to, um, it it was necessary. Uh, It was just like, If you're going to be a preacher, it would behoove you to study your Bible. And probably Bible college would be a good place to do that. Amen? And so, Jesus, in order to fulfill the things that God had for him, had to be made like unto his brethren, that you and I. That means he had to be born of the Virgin Mary and become... Just as human as every one of us here. Except for one thing. He was still God. Say, Pastor, I don't understand that. Good. If you did, you'd be as smart as God is. I don't understand it. I believe it because the Bible said so. Uh, That's part of being faithful to the Word of God. Allowing the Word of God to have the benefit of the doubt instead of my thought process having the benefit of the doubt. Do you you get that? Are we all together? And so, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And you have to study the Bible to understand that it was the high priest's job on the day of atonement to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat two times, once for himself and once for the sins of his people. And that is what the... Uh, Jewish people still celebrate, not as they did in the Bible, they can't. There's no temple, but they still celebrate the Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. It says that Jesus was the high priest. He was made that high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You see, he's the high priest... Dealing with the things of God and with the sins of the people. You know, they've written books on that subject and still missed it. But Jesus was made like us so that he could become our high priest and deal directly with God as being God and deal directly with man as being man in things concerning our sins You see, he was tempted in every point that we were tempted in, and yet without sin. Therefore, he's able to succor them. Now, that's a word we don't use much today, but the best illustration that uh, I can uh, give you is my youngest brother was very, very small when he was uh, growing up. He had a spinal condition. And uh, it, when he was in third grade, uh, when we took school pictures, he was lined up with the kindergartners. Uh, that's, that was his size. He was just very, very small, and he had bright red hair that he got from my mother. And so you can imagine what happened to a very small boy with bright red hair and a very big mouth. He got in trouble all the time. People loved to pick on my little brother. But he had two older brothers that succored him. That meant we got in the way. I remember uh, one time there was a fellow picking on my youngest brother, not because he had done anything, but just because he felt like he was bigger, he was going to pick on him. And uh, he goes into the principal's office and said, Those Montoro boys are going to beat me up! And uh, the principal called me and my brother in and said, What are you doing threatening this young man? he said, We didn't threaten him, but he's been picking on Mike, our little brother. And my daddy instructed me a few things that we don't allow people to pick on my little brother. And this was in a Christian school, and so the principal understood that Yeah, this wasn't all bad. And says, well, you just don't go around threatening people. We we weren't threatening him. I wanted to tell her we were promising. We weren't threatening. But that's what Jesus does. You see, you can't fight the devil. You can't fight the world. You can't even fight other people. I'm sorry, I'm going to burst your bubble today, but look in the mirror and be honest. They're smarter than you are. They operate without any code of morality at all. You can't play by their rules because they have none. So you know what that means? You lose. You always lose when you deal with the world unless Jesus gets in between. He takes the blows. That's why He died on the cross. That's why it says it is finished up here. You see, He's faithful. Every sin that I've ever sinned, He paid for on the cross. We'll go back to the definition of Faithful, conscientious, fidelity, integrity. You see, God does not sweep one of your sins under the carpet. God never says, that's okay, we won't worry about this one. I mean, we love to hear that when you make a mistake and you see those twirling lights behind you and pull over and say oh man last time that happened to me I made a left turn where I wasn't supposed to i had been through the intersection four times that day and you're allowed to make a left turn after 10 o'clock and before 4 o'clock it was like 5.30 it had been the fifth time I'd been through and I forgot and there he was Woo, woo, pulled over. License, registration. And I'm sitting there looking at him with this totally blank face. And I said, what's going on? And then it hit me. I said, no, I did it, didn't I? It's after four o'clock, isn't it? And he comes back five minutes later and he says, Okay, preacher, go ahead. We won't worry about this one today. Now, we, we like that with the police. It helps if you have a perfect driving record and the name of the church printed on the side of the van and that you're sorry for doing something just absolutely brainless. But that, that's called mercy. That's why he's a merciful and faithful high priest. He knows every sin that we've ever done. But unlike the police officer, he can't say that's okay. Because if he did, he'd violate his faithfulness to his word. And so Jesus had to pay for it on the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And I know I remind you of this often, but... I want to remind you of this often. I want everyone that walks in this auditorium, every time they walk in, I want their eyes to be drawn to those three words. One in the Hebrew, it is finished, it's done. Jesus has done that work. He is our faithful high priest and he will get between you and your judgment for your sin. Because only God could be so faithful to His Word to pay Himself our debt for our sin. If you want a Bible word, it's a $64 word, and it ought to be. Propitiation is the word. It's used in your Bible only a few times. But it is the word that God has chosen to give us to help us understand. That he is faithful and merciful. That he is just and loving. And they all came together and met on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem. And they were all solved at an empty tomb. And all God's people said, Well, that's point one. Don't think I'm going to finish this whole sermon today. But I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. If you're in the book of Hebrews, you just have James and Peter twice and then the 1 John. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is not a verse to the unsaved world. This is a verse to the saved. The reason we can know that for sure is because... We uh, go back to the very beginning of this chapter, and John is writing to the brethren. He says in verse 3 that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these verses are written to people that are saved. It says, if we confess our sins, what is that next phrase? Look at it in your Bible. Read it with me out loud as I quote it to you, he is faithful. How is he faithful? He is faithful because his word said that the payment of sin is death. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He, as God, was able to die in the place of every man and woman that would ever live. He was able to accomplish In one day, what would take every person that has ever lived an eternity in hell to accomplish? The greatest suffering of Christ was not in Mel Gibson's filthy, per movie. The greatest suffering of Christ was as He paid the debt of every sin that was ever sinned to God the Father. He's the high priest pertaining... To the reconciling of our sins pertaining to God. That's our first passage that we went through. So, God is faithfulness, faithful to His Word. He is faithful. He knows all of our sins. He still offers us salvation. And even after salvation, when we sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only to forgive us our sins that we confess, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God only forgave you the sins that you confessed, then your salvation would be determinant upon your ability to remember. Now, this is a whole nother sermon, but I want to challenge you. Your ability to remember is your poorest ability that you have. Just, we'll just leave that right there. Uh, it is so easily changed. If if I wanted to manipulate your memories, I could make you remember things that never happened to you. Happens all the time. Let me tell you something. Your forgiveness and your salvation is not dependent upon your memory. It's dependent upon God's faithfulness to His Word. Could we say amen to that? But also... 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you know this verse, I'm just going to quote it to you for time's sake. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted? Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. There is no sin that any of us in this room have ever sinned, that we had to sin. If you're saved, you're out from under the domination of sin. You do not have to sin. God is faithful. He will make a way to escape. How do you do that? Well, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as being in church. Boy, I got quiet on that one. Sometimes it's just as simple as being honest with God about your finances. Then you don't have anything left over to do bad things with. Amen? Uh, it's just as simple. Most of the time is being obedient to what the Bible says. God will make us... He promises you victory over this world and over temptation. It's amazing. The world scoffs. The world uh, laughs. The world mocks us. The world curses us and tells us how evil and wicked we are for believing that old Bible. But when they're in the cemetery... And it's their loved one they're putting in the ground. What do they do? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or they repeat the Lord's prayer. Let me tell you, you're going to find very little comfort in quoting about the Lord being your shepherd if He isn't your shepherd. We'll take a minute for this story. Years ago... They had a great actor of incredible elocutionary talents, meaning that he could just speak. I can't even pronounce a word. But he was just able to speak in such a way that moved crowds. And somehow he was there and someone asked him to read the 23rd Psalm. And he read it. And everybody was going, Oh wow, that was so beautiful. But in the group there was just an old unknown saint. And somehow he got past the Bible and asked to read. And when he had read the song, there was a dead silence and tears in eyes. And the old actor looked over and said, I can read beautifully, but it helps when you have someone reading it who knows the shepherd. You see, God is faithful, He is faithful. To his word he will judge both the righteous and the unrighteous when you get saved he already knows every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you'll ever commit yet in the future and yet he still offers you salvation because he has fulfilled the demands of his word long before any of us in this room were even ever thought of on Calvary's cross and three days later in an empty tomb he sealed that work for all eternity you want to know why there's no new revelation today it's because you don't need any you need to be faithful to what you got and when we sin if we confess our sins you know why God put that in there How many of you have ever sinned and tried to cover it up and hide it and pretend you didn't do it? Everybody has. What does it do? It just eats on the inside. you know what depression is? Depression is what happens on the outside when you refuse to deal with anger on the inside. That's why we have so many people that are clinically depressed. They'd never admit it, but they're angry at God because of something that happened in their life they don't like. Well, let me tell you something. There's a cure for that. It's called forgiveness. You get it from God. Because He paid for it. And nobody else can give it to you or take it away from you. Amen? And when we battle, and when we lose the battle with temptation, when we sin, we can go. We can confess that sin. And God uses that confession and that honesty with Him to cleanse our conscience and our soul. And to allow us to put the burden of that guilt away. Because it was paid for on Calvary's cross. Amen? Then... We can also be reminded that I'm not the only one that's ever sinned. It's common to man. But nobody has to sin because he's faithful. We missed the escape hatch. God made one, there's one there. And we've got to ask Him. You see, God is faithful. The real question is, what is your response to God's faithfulness? Now, we we don't have time to deal with the rest of this, so Lord willing, we'll finish next Sunday. The faithfulness of God, I could preach on it every Sunday between now and when the Lord comes, and still never cover it all. But God's faithfulness is, demands some things. Remember a few weeks ago we did a sermon on faith demands? Well, here's why. God did these things in keeping faithfulness to His Word. And if we're going to embrace God's faithfulness, it's got to do some things in our life. The first thing it'll do is bring you to a Savior. That is the first thing that God's Word will do. People talk about church and, well, I'm I'm doing the best I can. I hope it works. Let me tell you, I hope the elevator repairman doesn't have that mentality. How about you? The guys that fix the bridges, I hope they're not thinking like that. How about you? I don't want something that I hope will work. I want something I can know will work. And you know what? God always works. Because He is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah uttered those words while the ruins of Jerusalem and the temple were still smoking. And yet he understood, God will judge the sins of his people Israel. That's why Jerusalem was being destroyed. But even in his judgment, there is mercy. You see, Jesus was made just like you and I, only he still was God. So that he could deal with God and deal with man. Concerning our sins. And if you'll let him, he'll come between God's judgment for your sins and you, because he took every one of them on the cross. Don't waste your life trying to finish something Jesus already did. Trust him as your Savior. Christian, if you're still struggling, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. It's not dependent upon your memory. It's dependent upon His faithfulness. But you need to be responsible for what you know about. And if it's something that God wants you to be responsible about, He'll make you know and understand what it is. Amen? And, but He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness, even the things you're not aware of what you've done. Why? Because he's faithful, it is finished. Next Sunday, I want to talk about some more things that God's faithfulness will do in our lives. But we need to end now. And so the question is, will you take what we've covered today and ask yourself, Do I believe God is faithful in what he said in his word? And if I do, what is my response going to be to that? Number one, have you been saved? If you haven't, would you at least give us the opportunity to open up the Bible and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home? That's what our church is about. You don't come here and do a bunch of good things hoping to get saved. No, you come here and you'll hear about the Word of God and how He's prepared a way for you to be saved. And then if you are saved, I tell you, summertime is an easy time to just get under the burden of life and laziness and all the other things. That's what the altar's for. You just come up and tell God, Because He's faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you. And He's faithful to remind you, you didn't have to sin in the first place. Start looking for the escapes. They're there. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before You in prayer this morning. And Lord, I just ask that You would help us to understand Your Word today. And how it applies to our lives. And, Lord, my prayer first is for anyone that might be here today that has never truly made that decision to be saved. They just don't quite understand what it means, maybe. Or maybe they understand the whole thing and yet just never have done it. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that faith wins and doubt loses. Not faith in ourselves, Lord, not faith in this church, not faith in any individual except the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are just struggling with life, the burdens, the tragedies, the sorrows, the uh, Lord, the sins of others that make us weep. That we would find our way back to the foot of the cross where we belong know that you're faithful, not only to forgive us and to cleanse us, but to keep us and give us the victory. We ask that we would do business with you, that we could live for you the rest of this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together. Andrew, if you come, lead the hymn of invitation if you need to come and pray. Just step